This is broadcast producer Desi Doyan. We're off today, so please enjoy this encore broadcast from May 3rd, 2023. Say that Andrew Jackson was the most vilified president. They said such horrible things. Um, Abraham Lincoln, they say, was, you know, he had a civil war going on, all right? But uh, Abraham Lincoln had, was just vilified. He was, but now they say Trump got treated the worst of all. Mm, I don't know. I think that whole bullet to the head thing might have been worse for Lincoln. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Just my opinion. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallatin, Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. I got confused there, Desi Doyen, as I was doing the uh, opening because I'm thinking in my head, actually, who is uh, who Who was the worst criminal? Um, Andrew Jackson or... Uh. Donald Trump. Good point, because, you know, Andrew Jackson was a genocidal maniac who tried to eradicate Native Americans from the face of the earth. Well, you know, give Donald Trump some time. He is running for a second term. (laughs) In any event, uh, yeah, evidence suggests for some reason or another, Donald Trump may not be in a very good mood of late. Don't know why. Uh, Back in March, according to Vanity Fair's Charlotte Klein this week, Former President Donald Trump was aboard his plane with a gaggle of reporters following a campaign rally in Waco, Texas. He started off in good spirits, but then a line of questioning from NBC News's Vaughn Hilliard, who suggested that Trump had in recent days seemed, quote, frustrated by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg's investigation. The those questions began irritating the former president, quote, don't ask me any more questions, Trump said. About 10 minutes later, as Hilliard continued to ask about the investigation, Trump snapped, grabbing the reporter's two phones and chucking them to the side. That, according to a source familiar with the matter, quote, get him out of here, Trump told his aides, according to a recording obtained by Vanity Fair. 
though Vanity Fair did not publish it, so I'm sad to say I cannot share it with you, but Klein offers uh, what are said to be direct quotes from the audio that she reports Vanity Fair obtained. The incident occurred a few days before Trump would eventually be indicted by a Manhattan grand jury for his role in hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels. Hilliard's questions revolved around Trump's posts on Truth Social at the time, his dumb social media outlet. The former president had warned that there could be potential death and destruction. That's a direct quote if he was indicted. Well, by the way, there was neither of those things after he was eventually charged. But when Hilliard again tried to clarify Trump's version of events around the DA's investigation, the ex-president said, quote, I don't want to talk to you. Hilliard tried to ask another question. Do you hear me? You're not a nice guy, Trump said, turning to take a question from another reporter. When Hilliard then tried a third time to get a response, Trump lost it. Quote, all right, let's go get him out of here, Trump said. Out of here, out of here. As Hilliard kept trying, the special counsel, sir, well, then Trump picked up one of the uh, phones according that was recording the gaggle and asked, whose is this? Hilliard replies it was his. Trump picked up another phone and asked the same question. That one's mine, too, Hilliard said. The former president tossed both phones out of his sight. The thud of one of the phones hitting a surface can be heard in the recording. An aide then said the press gaggle was over. Hmm, I bet. <laughs> The Trump campaign appears to have reduced mainstream press access as a result of what happened on that plane back from Waco and Trump's inability, apparently, to speak to the to the news media of his pending indictment without flipping out. The only reporters on Trump's plane for last week's trip to New Hampshire, apparently, were from friendly right wing outlets like Henry Rogers of the Daily Caller and Dan Baldwin of OAN, who in his write up of that trip wrote of the, quote, warm and, quote, welcoming former president, quote, it's clear Trump values the opinions of everyone he surrounds himself with, whether he agrees or disagrees. Unquote. And again, uh, that's uh, sort of, I guess, what we can look forward to from this president as this campaign moves forward and as it gets more and more difficult for him to be able to answer questions from the media. And this was all before he was indicted on 34 criminal felonies in New York. I'm not sure why it took so long for that news to come out about what happened on that plane. <laughs> yeah, if Biden had thrown a reporter's phones, I think we would have heard about it pretty much immediately. Plus, it was recorded, so I don't know why we didn't get to hear it. In any event, I'm guessing Donald Trump's mood has not improved since that incident on his plane back in March, not with at least three more major criminal probes with indictments uh, likely to come in each of them at pretty much any time over the next several months. That was back in March when he was telling the gaggle of uh, reporters that, oh, they decided to not uh, prosecute in New York after all. Yeah, turns oh, yeah. out that wasn't the case. So what's the holdup in these other three cases, as the great Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net wrote over the weekend in one of three articles she wrote uh, dedicated to, quote, where the Trump investigations stand in regard to the January 6 conspiracies, the stolen documents case and 
the Georgia election theft conspiracy. She wrote, last Thursday, Mike Pence testified to the January 6th federal grand jury for over five hours in Washington, D.C., Many commentators have suggested, and Marcy says she agrees, that was one of the last major testimonial steps Jack Smith would need to take before deciding whether and if so, how to charge Trump for inciting a mob to threaten to assassinate his own vice president. But she notes there are still a few pieces that Smith's prosecutors seem to be working on. The most important of those may be continued appellate uncertainty regarding one of the specific laws that Smith is likely to use to charge Trump and others in conjunction with January 6th. To understand its import, she writes in her detailed piece regarding where the January 6th related investigation now stands, she goes on to explain how she thinks the various things that Smith is investigating all fit together, noting that she sees it as likely that in addition to some charges related to the obstruction of that investigation or the January 6th committee's investigation, Smith's team is now pursuing Conspiracy to defraud the United States for submitting fake elector certificates to the National Archives. Obstruction of the vote certification and conspiracy to obstruct. Conspiracy to commit wire fraud. That would be in relation to the more than $250 million that Trump raised for his election defense fund based on fraudulent claims that the election was stolen from him. And aiding and abetting assault. That alone is a lot of stuff, and as she explains, there remain questions about how some of those laws may be interpreted and applied by the various judges on the D.C. Circuit, where all of this is going to eventually need to play out. Of course, that's only the January 6th-related stuff. Marcy also filed two other reports, as I noted, over the weekend, summarizing where things stand in the investigations of Trump's stolen documents recovered from Mar-a-Lago and, oh yeah, the broad conspiracy to strong-arm state officials in Georgia into stealing the 2020 presidential election in his favor from Joe Biden, who actually won the election in the uh, state that year. Marcy Wheeler is a longtime independent national security journalist at EmptyWheel.net and contributor to many other publications, including The Guardian, Politico, New York Times, among others, and I would say a national treasure, even though she now lives in Ireland and happens to be in Gay Paris tonight, uh, where we speak to her, where it is much later than it is here. Bonsoir, Marcy. And thank you for joining us back here on the broadcast. <laughs> I'm I'm in I should say I'm in Paris because today is the first day since I moved to Ireland that Trump is at his golf course in oh. Ireland about an hour from my house. So I, I, I ran away. So you won't be in any country where Donald Trump actually is at any given time. Eventually, I'll come back to visit the United States. By then, he'll probably have, like, fled to Dubai. <laughs> Good point. All right, we got a lot to move through, as I said, on these uh, three still-to-be-indicted uh, cases that uh, Trump faces, even as he's already facing a uh, defamation and rape trial in New York as we speak. And by the way, breaking news that the apparently uh, Trump's defense has said 
they are not going to even put up a defense in that trial, uh, civil trial against uh, E. Jean Carroll. He also faces a $250 million bank tax and insurance fraud lawsuit by the state of New York and their attorney general, Letitia James. And he was recently indicted on 34 criminal felony charges related to his hush, hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels in uh, hopes of uh, helping him win the 2016 presidential election. So before we get to the three outstanding cases, uh, Marcy, I'd love to give your get your quick thoughts, if you have any, on one point related to the New York indictments already filed. Do we have any evidence-based explanation for why, after the arraignment on 34 criminal charges a few weeks ago, the next in-person hearing in that case is currently not scheduled until December 4 of this year. Do you understand why that is the case? Yeah, they. Uh, I don't believe that they have started handing over evidence yet, and mm-hmm. this is just to give him time to go through the evidence and do some preliminary matters. And I mean, I, I don't think it was that surprising. Trump, of course, is going to try and push it off. Is it possible that there uh, that Bra- Alvin Bragg, the uh, district attorney there, might be planning a superseding indictment that would include some of those other charges on bank tax and insurance fraud that Letitia James has uh, currently has a civil suit against him on? Could that be a reason for this, uh, as I understand it, longer than usual delay before the you know a next hearing after an arraignment? Yeah, I think uh, he did say that the investigation was ongoing. You don't know whether he was still trying to get Weisselberg to flip. You don't know whether uh, Tish James is going to send him something. So that's all quite possible. I don't think, even still after seeing the indictment, I, I don't think we really have a great sense of mm-hmm. where Alvin Bragg thinks this is going to go. But it's in the work. So, gotcha. you know. Here we go. All right. Well, let's jump into what seems to be uh, of the the three that you wrote about over the weekend. That seems to be the most complicated case, if only due to the size and number of potential charges. At, as I read it, well, let's jump into this first. Uh, that would be the what is described as the January six investigation, but it's one that actually seems to be investigating not only Trump's attempt to steal the election via an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, but also all of his other failed attempts to steal the election, like the (laughs) fake elector scheme and his use of fraudulent claims about election fraud to defraud his own supporters out of more than a quarter of a billion dollars in donations to an election defense fund that did not actually even legally exist on paper, as I understand it. So, uh, spoiler alert, Marcy, because this comes at the end of your article, but you write, quote, lots of people are impatient that neither Trump nor his flunkies have been charged 30 months after their crimes, but the likely charge has not even yet been defined. Huh? Please, please explain. Uh-huh, that's a- that's something that should have been top on, on the reporting. Um, the, the, since, really, March of 2021, DOJ has built their framework for charging January 6th, including hundreds of the crime scene people. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, we're waiting on the Proud Boys verdict as we speak, mm-hmm. and they were charged with, with this, as well as with conspiracy to obstruct unofficial proceeding. The official proceeding is the actual vote count. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the crime that many months after I said this is the crime that they would charge Trump with, uh, 
the January 6th committee said, wow, this is a great crime to charge him with. Mm -hmm. And then um, Judge David Carter in your neighborhood ruled that it was more likely than not that Trump and John Eastman had, had committed this conspiracy crime. And so everyone has sort of agreed, okay, they're going to use instructions to charge Trump for January 6th. The problem is this was always a fairly novel application, not because it's crazy, mm -hmm. because, you know, like the vote certification is an official proceeding, but because it's just, it's never been done before. Mm -hmm. And so um, from very early on, the crime scene people were like, we're going to challenge this, it's never going to fly. One former Clarence Thomas clerk, mm -hmm. uh, Carl Nichols, Trump appointee, the only single D.C. judge to say this application doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, he, he rejected the challenge. He said, you know, you can't obstruct, like this obstruction necessarily involves documents. There's no documents here. And so this small group of defendants appealed, mm -hmm. and their appeal went in in September. The appeal was heard in December a couple weeks ago, a very conservative panel. Mm -hmm. So Florence Pan who, is, Pan, who is a Joe Biden appointee, but two Trump appointees, one who is basically Mitch McConnell's uh, protege and the other of whom worked in Trump's White House. So there's your panel. Mm -hmm. And two of them, the Mitch McConnell protege and Florence Pan, were like, yeah, this, this flies, this application flies. The Trump White House person was... He was like, no, this has to be something very restricted. Mm. Um, but they, it, they, they upheld it for its use with January 6th, but then they said, maybe we need to go back and rethink uh, corrupt purpose, which mm -hmm. is one of the elements of the offense. So in other words, it's not enough that you want to obstruct the vote certification. You have to do so corruptly in one way or another. Um, and judge, and this how, is an area how can where that be, judges, how can that not be uh, corrupt, Marcy? I mean, if you want to stop the uh, electoral votes from being counted, in what way could that not be a corrupt pur uh, purpose? Would it be in the case where you actually think there is a mistake here, so we we need to stop the counting because it's being done wrong? Is it, I mean, what would well, make the, it not the corrupt? analogy that you will hear over and over again, and we've been hearing over and over again. Uh, for those of us who've covered this, mm -hmm. is is um, Brett Kavanaugh. Did the people who interrupted the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing, yeah. did they have a corrupt purpose when they stood up and interrupted it? Should they go, should they be charged with the felony? Okay. And so the, what, is it, what is it that distinguishes it? And one of the things that distinguishes it is that those people were not trespassing. Mm -hmm. Those people who stood up in the middle of the, in, in the, middle of the hearing, they went through security. Mm -hmm. And they stood in line to get a seat, and they were all legally present when they did that. That's one of the big distinguishing factors. So, like, a, a bunch of the judges said, well, one of the distinguishing factors is otherwise illegal activity. Everybody who went in the Capitol on January 6th was trespassing because the entire thing was closed down. There was no security to go through. Mm -hmm. No one was supposed to be there. Okay. Um, and then the people who actually appealed, all of them, I think this is right, all of them also were charged with assault. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, this is easy. You assaulted cops as right. part of your goal to... Um, but then Republicans were like, we think it should be like taxes. We think it can only be a corrupt purpose if you get some kind of benefit out of it. Uh -huh. And again, it should still be a benefit. Like if I'm a Trump supporter 
and I want to invalidate the votes of 81 million uh, <laughs> Biden voters, yep. that's, that's a benefit, right? R- right. We, we haven't gotten there yet, but the, the Mitch McConnell protege I talked about, he said, I think that benefit theory can work for these guys because they all wanted Trump elected and mm-hmm. that's a benefit for, benefit for them. Um, but the, cat, the, the White House, the Trump White House guy was like, no, no, it needs to be financial. It needs to be something more specific. So that's what is going to be heard before a more liberal panel on May 11th. Uh-huh. Florence Penn is still on it. We know, we know what she feels. There is a conservative Poppy Bush appointee, and then there is, a, um, if I'm remembering correctly, a, a Clinton or Obama appointee. But anyway, that's who's going to hear and disca- decide what corrupt purpose here should be. The, the, sh- the, the short version, though, is it shouldn't matter with Trump, because Trump, uniquely of everyone who was trying to obstruct that vote certification, mm-hmm. stood to to get the biggest imaginable benefit, sure. which is he got to remain president. Right. Um, but for Jack Smith, you have to, A, think of who else you're going to charge. For example, like, what's the benefit for John A. Smith? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, yeah, we do expect him to be charged along with Bush, but what's the benefit for him that he would have a corrupt purpose? But the other thing is um, you, you need to make, if you're going to charge the former president, make sure that you can prepare for any eventuality. Now, uh, DOJ is quite anxious to get this corrupt purpose thing. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're like, no more delays on this, because um, it took forever to get the easier question answered. Um, but, I, but I think one of the things that I argued is that you laid out a couple kinds of things that went on. One, Trump almost got Mike Pence killed. Mm-hmm. Two, there was the fake electors plot, right? So um, 14 people in seven states sent in a document that was, um, to greater or lesser degrees, fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was knowingly fraudulent in some states, including Georgia, and and that's what Sonny Willis is is working on charges for. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just... You know, I I described three kinds of corrupt purpose. One is, or three kinds of application of of obstruction. One is it has to involve documents. Mm -hmm. Well, if you charge the fake electors plot, then you've got your documents. Mm -hmm. Another one is it has to involve otherwise illegal activity. Trying to get Mike Pence killed, illegal activity. Um, And and I and I said in my post that I think Trump is also on the hook for some aid and abet assaults. Mm Um, including against Michael Fanone. They, the DOJ has sort of set that up, so I would not be surprised if they do that. And then, um, Michael and Fanone, then there is the, the, the cop who was uh, dragged out of the tased. Capitol and tased with his own ta- Yeah, By people from your neighborhood. Right. So oh, well. th- those are Southern Californians who did that. All right, you don't have to blame um, me for everything, Marcy, but go ahead. <laughs> so is, is it fair to say, uh, Marcy, that... And this seems to be an argument that you have been making for a very long time, that sort of these earlier cases against these various insurrectionists and the the, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers and their their conspiracy trials and so forth, that those all sort of needed to play out if only to sort of establish the the ground rules and to establish what constitutes uh, criminal charges here under the current 
DC Circuit, uh, DC panel of judges, uh, you know, since so many of these charges are either unusual or they haven't been used very often or even at all in uh, in previous cases to sort of road test the various potential charges on these, uh, as you call them, crime scene folks, the folks at the uh, the Capitol. Does is that sort of an explanation for uh, for one of the reasons why it has taken so long to bring charges in these uh, against Trump and friends? Well, I don't... I mean, I I think that Jack Smith may be waiting for that definition, or at least the hearing, so he knows where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But I think he's got himself backstopped if he charges the expected charges. I think he's got... He can go in and say, well, if you want a financial benefit, here's the fraudulent fundraising off of claiming there was a stolen election. You know, he's he's got that covered, but it but it may explain why he has taken the time to do the fraudulent fundraising before charging other people. No. And and I and I will say that the people in Southern California that I just blamed you for Uh the tasing the tasing Michael Fanone. Right. That's a case that I think DOJ did want to finalize. And it's only been finalized in the last two weeks that uh, one of the guys was was. found guilty. And then the Proud Boys verdict, which hopefully will come tomorrow, I think is one that really determines where a lot of other things happen. And those aren't necessary. I think there was a time when you had to go through Alex Jones to get through Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at the beginning they were like, well, obviously, you know, Trump ordered Alex Jones to bring the mob. The Proud Boys were there. They were coordinating with Alex Jones. Then they attacked the Capitol. That's a very easy, and people really underestimate the degree to which this is true. That's a very easy way to hold Trump accountable. He, you know, ask Alex Jones to bring bodies to the Proud Boys mm-hmm. that the Proud Boys then use to launch the attack on the Capitol. But you can't do that until you've got guilty verdicts. If if the jury does that, you can't do that until you've got um, guilty verdicts for the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh- um, and so I think that if we get a verdict. Whatever the verdict is, I think DOJ will choose your own adventure. Uh, you know, they they may roll up the rest of the Proud Boys. They may charge people like Alex Jones, Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things, those are the things that I do think really have been waiting on this verdict. Now, and the verdict and the trial and the evidence, um, that really did need to take that much time. It took over a year to get into Enrique Tarrio's phone, which mm-hmm. they seized before January 6th, they didn't actually get into his phone until like mid-January of 2022. It, so that's an it, obvious delay. Is is there uh, a, a lot of time, according to all the, uh, as you call them, the uh, millions of TV lawyers, a lot of time <laughs> uh, and excuses for Trump have been sort of made around the idea that it uh, it's taken so long because it may be difficult uh, to charge him because you'd have to prove that he knew the things that he were doing, you know, was against the law. Uh, and that really sort of applies to all of these cases, uh, as we have heard from these TV lawyers. Is there any accuracy in that hand wringing uh, about all of this? Because time and time again, we find out, yeah, Trump knew he knew this was wrong. He knew this was illegal. He knew this was fraudulent. Uh, is 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 there any accuracy to these concerns that oh he did these criminal things but he had no idea that they were unlawful at the time? I think what is actually the case is that the TV lawyers haven't gone back and sat down with obstruction. 
mm-hmm. if we all agree that that obstruction is the most likely framework that's going to be used, mm-hmm. then we need to understand what goes into an obstruction charge. And this is another area where, as you said, having charged a hundred or having prosecuted a hundred crime scene people, mm-hmm. we know that every single time they say, well, we thought that Donald Trump really did win and that exonerates me, the judge says, no, it doesn't. It, you know, what, whatever you believed, you still wanted to stop that vote certification and you're still going to mm-hmm. be held guilty. And so if you look at all of those precedents, it's clear that it's not a matter of knowing whether or not Trump won. That's already been decided by, I don't know, maybe 15 judges. Mm-hmm. What matters is that corrupt purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, you seem also to... Uh, Ultimately, I guess there's a question. You sort of detail an enormous number of potential charges that could be brought against Trump in in this just this one particular probe. Uh, just an enormous number on a on a wide range of related elements. I'm wondering if uh, a- am I reading that correctly? Is is that likely that there'll be a whole bunch of charges, or is it more likely that they will bring just a few charges on the most easily proven elements? No, no, I think that they would bring those charges. If they if they think they can uh, prove them, mm-hmm. they're going to include them. I mean, like the Proud Boys case that we're waiting on the verdict, mm-hmm. there are nine charges there. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of the more narrow. I mean, there there's seditious conspiracy, conspiracy to prevent the cops and members of Congress from doing their job. Right. There's the obstruction conspiracy. Then there's assault. Then there's, you, you know. So this is what we see, and it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reason we should see Trump being treated differently, particularly when he's got liability for what he did the day of, both trying to prevent the vote certification and trying to incite this mob. Mm-hmm. But then you add in the fake electors, you add in the fraudulent fundraising. So he's got criminal liability really in three areas, whereas your average garden variety rioter has criminal liability in one. <laughs> gotcha. So if there is an indictment brought here, and it sure seems likely, uh, you think it, it, it'll ultimately be a broad sweeping indictment on a bunch of elements. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah? I don't know. I mean, like, we don't know what evidence that we have, right? So we don't know. There was a big story today about Pence's testimony last week mm-hmm. before the grand jury, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, Jack Smith sat down in Mike Pence's uh, testimony. That's not really surprising. He's the former vice president. But also, like, um, when I wrote up Pence's likely testimony, I noted that one of the things a prosecutor is, is going to want to know, um, there's a bunch of, like, details that Mike Pence can testify to about Trump. Mm -hmm. But there's also a really critical issue, which is that Trump sicked a mob on not just Pence, but on Pence and his wife and his daughter. Mm. And there's this conversation that Pence relayed in his book where Trump was like, oh, were you scared? And Pence was like, no, I was angry. (laughs) And in the response in the book, he of course shades and he says, "I was angry at these at these people that were attacking the Capitol. They weren't our people." He was angry because his daughter was about to be killed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think if you're Jack Smith, if you can get Mike Pence to a place on the stand where he's like, he's not going to say, "Gosh darn it," right? But if you can get Mike Pence on the stand where he's like, "That guy tried to kill my wife." He yeah. tried to kill my daughter. Yeah. Then you're gonna you're gonna be much more likely to convict the former president yeah. than if Mike Pence gets up there and in Mike Pence fashion says, "Oh, 
I don't think he really mean, meant to, to do X, Y, and Z. And, and this is where I think um, Dan Scavino testified yesterday. Uh, we still don't know when Mark Meadows will testify if he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's due. This testimony is really going to matter for the ultimate charges because prosecutors are going to be like, what is this guy going to be like on the stand? Is he going to throw the case? for right. Trump on the stand, or is he going to be compelling? Can I make him into, can I make, I mean, imagine you're a prosecutor and you're thinking, can I make Mike Pence into an emotional being? Probably not, <laughs> but you got to figure that into the charging decision because that's going to, that's going to have a big influence on whether you prove the case. Figuring out and, and figuring out who will, uh, if not cooperate, who will be a helpful witness on the stand. Uh, I know that some Trumpers, and again, I'll point folks to your uh, detailed article on all of this. Some Trumpers separated themselves from all of these uh, schemes, the fake elector scheme and so forth early on. They wanted nothing to do with it. But wh- Marcy, do you have any idea why so many top Trump people, particularly lawyers who should and, and almost certainly do know better, uh, why they so many of them have stuck with him throughout all of these schemes for so long? Was it part and parcel of the enormous amount of money that became available, uh, you know, via Trump's huge, if fraudulent fundraising uh, apparatus uh, based on all of this? Is that why these folks stuck around? Well, I I don't want to make generalizations. I think the important thing is that, um, and what I was trying to get to in the article is that some of them tried to stick around and not break the law. Mm -hmm. Like Like Trump's campaign lawyers tried that. They're like, there was this moment in December of 2020 where uh, this guy named Kenneth Cheesebro is like, mm-hmm. here's what we're going to do with the fake electors, and it's not so illegal in Pennsylvania, but it's sort of problematic in Mississippi, mm-hmm. I mean in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Did I just call my former state? You did, yes you did. Um, uh, uh, but, but it's really problematic in Nevada and Georgia. Right. And so th- he wrote it down. He, right. wrote, he wrote it down. He's like, oh, we're about to commit a crime. And as soon as he wrote that down, the Trump campaign guys are like, ah, check, please. Yeah. <laughs> Rudy, you take it from here. Yeah. And so. Um, so but a lot of them, but a lot of them stayed, you know, knowing they, a lot of them still stayed and, and continued to work on these plots, despite, you know, sort of a general agreement that, OK, we're all going to be breaking the law now. No, I think that, yeah, I think a lot of people were like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll insulate myself from that. But those same people who are like, I'm going to insulate myself from like the fraudulent elector thing in Nevada, yeah. then went on to get paid using the money that was raised by lying to people about the, <laughs> about uh, voting fraud. And so those same people, and this is this is something that I don't think people really get, is like you've got four things: you've got the stolen documents case, you've got the fraudulent fundraising, you've got the fake electors, and you've got stuff having to do with January 6th itself. And, you know, there are a number of people who, like, managed to keep themselves clean in three of four, mm-hmm. but then they did something in four where mm-hmm. they may have some criminal exposure. Or, you, you know, and so that actually gives Jack Smith tools yeah. to say, like, oh, you know, here's how much you rate, here's how much you were paid after the election for stuff that, you know, was based on a fake, you know, was based on uh, the lie about, Trump having actually won, mm-hmm. do you really want that on your record for the rest of your career, or do you yep. want to co- cooperate with me? And so I think that um, that provides him, I don't know how successful he's been 
there are people that I suspect may be cooperating, but they're probably not people most of your listeners know. But, you know, in addition to people like we know that are mm-hmm. cooperative witnesses, which mm-hmm. is different than being a co- uh, being in a plea agreement or something like that, um, like Cassidy Hutchinson, we know she is cooperative, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that there's a lot of this surface area, I guess, if you'd say, where there are, you know, a hundred witnesses here and all of them, even if they think that they've kept clean, all of them maybe are in a bit of a pickle and so are going to, they may come around to cooperating when they otherwise wouldn't. Have. Gotcha. So we'll see. I think that's probably one of the things that's going on in the background now. And the, the extra time it takes to secure the cooperation in one form or another from all of these people. Marcy, before I get to a break here and, and uh, come back to move on to the stolen documents case and uh, the Georgia uh, case, do you see any evidence, very quickly, any evidence that you see that is Jack Smith is investigating the multi-state conspiracy by these MAGA folks to breach voting system software in several states, Georgia, Michigan, Colorado, elsewhere, which, according to testimony to the January 6th committee, now appears to be a scheme that was not only headed up by Sidney Powell, as we knew previously, but it was actually hatched with the knowledge of Donald Trump during that infamous, uh, you know, craziest ever White House meeting that was held on December 18, 2020, with Powell and Giuliani and Mike Flynn and Mark Meadows, etc. Because the folks that we have spoken to here who have been following the breaches, the software breaches in Georgia, and elsewhere very closely, they seem very concerned that while there, you know, there may be state investigations of those voting system software breaches in in each of the various states, that Jack Smith is not actively probing this coordinated multi-state conspiracy, apparently headed up initially by Donald Trump, or at least, you know, he he was there at the meeting where this scheme was developed, uh, that Jack Smith does not seem to be investigating that element as part of his federal probe. Do you have any information or evidence one way or another, whether he is actively looking at that? Are you able to tell? Well, I'll I'll say three things. One is um, the Sidney Powell investigation was over by September uh, 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we don't know where that all went, but it's Sydney Powell. Like a lot of people are like, why aren't they dealing with the senior people? They did with Sydney Powell very early on for this because she was doing the same kind of fraudulent fundraising. But you know, she wasn't. She wasn't charged. Uh, so what does that mean? As far as we know, she was not charged. Um, but that's one. That's one data point. Okay. A second data point is a number of subpoenas that went out last year are the kinds of subpoenas that you would expect to investigate that, that went to actual secretaries of state or local clerks. And so then the third one is some of the people that from very early on were part of the, oh, oh, I'll do four. Some (laughs) of the people from very early on that were part of the subpoenas were involved in orchestrating that. So that, you know, that's one other thing. And then finally, another thing that Jack Smith did after getting the transcripts was pursue more details of the meeting of the request to seize the voting machine. Uh-huh. And there's details of that that were not otherwise public and that I think he probably didn't believe he needed to pursue. And then all of a sudden he's getting testimony from Johnny McEntee and getting testimony from more people at DOD. And I, I think that that is tangential. That's the kind of top-down of 
here's how we're going to go get data. Here's how we're going to get the NSA involved, right? And so that's, it's a different angle from the people you're talking to, but I think it's a related issue. So it sounds like, Marcy Wheeler, that uh, you think he may be looking into that. I, uh, the, the folks that uh, I've spoken with sort of on the ground in places like Coffee County, Georgia, say there is so far no evidence of the feds uh, showing up and uh, talking to or subpoenaing or anything or meeting with uh, the folks on the ground who, uh, you know, are on the front line who would have, uh, you know, they would have spoken with regarding right. the investigation right. of that software. So that's uh, still a wild card. Let me take a quick break, though. We'll come back, talk more about Georgia and about the stolen documents case with uh, the great Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net speaking to us from Gay Paris. Quick break, and we're back with that. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Ready or not, uh, here I come. Uh, you can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah. want me. Yeah. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com uh, speaking with Marcy <laughs> Wheeler uh, of EmptyWheel.net. She's in Paris. I'm on the uh, west coast of the great state uh, of the great state of California or something like that. Anyway, it's all confusing. Uh, Marcy over the weekend wrote three articles on where the Trump investigations stand. This would be the three investigations that have not yet res- yet resulted in charges. We already talked about January 6th and that huge conspiracy and all of the potential charges related there. But we're going to uh, but I want to move to the uh, stolen documents. Uh, and what 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 are we now waiting on in what seems to be a very clear case that Trump stole hundreds of pages of documents from the White House? many of them highly classified upon leaving office, and then he lied to and obstructed federal officials when they tried to get those documents back over the course of the subsequent year and a half before uh, the uh, feds finally executed a federal search warrant to take them all back. This seems like, I thought this would be the first one to be charged. This seems such a simple case in truth. What am I missing, and what's the holdup for bringing charges in that particular case, Marcy Wheeler? The holdup was that Trump succeeded in getting a stay on any investigation in the declassified stuff until December. Mm-hmm. So that, that like, imagine that the investigation only started in December and they had to, you know, go mm. interview all the lawyers. Okay. I, the one thing that we know is still out there yep. is that at least in October, DOJ believed that Trump still had documents. So I mm. imagine the same kind of debate that happened in August or Jan- July of 2022 is going on now, which says, do we make a showy arrest of him and that same day we arrest him, search all of his properties at once, mm-hmm. which now we have to include Dunbeg in Scotland because he's 
you know, flown to Dunbeg in Scotland on his private jet? Right. Um, or do we try and get a contempt ruling against all his lawyers to force them to do it be- or throw them in the pokey? Right. So that's one decision that's difficult that I suspect that they're... Um, it was about three weeks ago or two weeks ago where I think that they finally got the last piece of evidence they needed to do this charge. The other decision that I suspect that they're arguing about very vehemently in in DOJ is where to charge it, because mm-hmm. the Espionage Act charges are far more robust if you charge them in Florida, but... Uh, then you're going to deal you know, then you've got the vagaries of a Florida jury, plus maybe you'll get Alien Cannon as your judge, and then oh, you're going to be back in Bozo land. Oh, man. Or do you just charge, you know, do you charge, can you charge espionage in D.C.? That's a weaker case in D.C. for technical reasons. Or do you just charge obstruction? And I think those are the kinds of decisions that Jack Smith needs to make on this case, because that's the way the law works. And so... That's what's in front of him. And and so uh, you also note that, uh, as with the uh, January 6th case, that some of this might be a matter of uh, lining up witnesses against Trump, that folks like even Trump aide Boris Epstein may be cooperating to some extent with federal investigators, that former chief of staff uh, Mark I, Meadows. I don't think, yeah, yeah, I don't think Epstein or Meadows will cooperate. I think yeah. they're both dumbly loyal. Yeah. But I think that that's a question that, that, Smith is going to have to decide. I mean, mm-hmm. Boris Epstein on the stolen documents case was really a gatekeeper for a lot of the decisions. Mm-hmm. So if you want to charge Trump with obstruction, you need to understand the relationship between Epstein and Trump, because mm-hmm. Epstein was basically the one giving the orders that Trump gave to Epstein. Is it possible, Marcy, that um, Jack Smith is waiting to bring charges for both of these things, January 6th and the stolen documents case, is it possible that he's waiting to bring sort uh, both of these things sort of at the same time? Because it seems to me that, you know, bringing federal charges against a former president for anything is sort of likely to set off a, uh, you know, a fuse, a, a, a timeline of events, if you will, that that make then bringing a second set of charges on a completely different matter sort of more difficult, uh, both politically and logistically. I, is it possible that he would uh, wait to announce both cases, indictments in both cases at the same time for that reason? I don't think those, I mean, I actually think it's logistically easier to arrest him on one, you know, to, to do the arrest on one charge and then go back and do the other. They're, as far as we know, entirely separate grand juries, so he can continue to investigate one after he's done with the other. But one reason that you may want to make the decisions in tandem are for people like Boris Epstein, who was centrally involved mm-hmm. uh, in both the coup attempt, right. and that was supposedly the topic of his interview with Jack Smith, a couple weeks ago, not the grand jury, but with prosecutors, which is interesting because it means he didn't require a subpoena. And same thing with Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows had a key role in the stolen do- in the early part of the stolen documents case. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, are you going to charge? What 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 kind of charges are you going to take against Mark Meadows in January six? And can that make it easier to to prove the stolen documents case? So that's where I think you have an advantage to make the. The, prosecut- the prosecutorial decisions in tandem. And because you also argue that, and I don't know that I had put these pieces together myself, that, uh, quote, the single most useful thing about putting both 
uh, Trump, both Trump investigations under Smith is that he can leverage someone's legal exposure in one part of the investigation to coerce their a, a cooperation in another part where they are crucial witnesses. Is is that something that you, you suspect that uh, Merrick Garland would have known and, and purposely sort of exploited when he assigned Jack Smith to both of these cases? I don't think um, enough was known about the stolen documents case, but it is a benefit. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I think that prosecutors would have spoken to each other closely enough to be able to coordinate this. But just as a very basic example, there's a woman named Molly Michael, Mm -hmm. and she was Trump's gatekeeper in the White House. Right. Doesn't remember anything about January 6th. Can't help you. Nope. Doesn't remember it. But she's also the woman who, for example, ordered a more subordinate employee at Mar-a-Lago to make a copy of a box of documents mm-hmm. that happened to include classified documents mm-hmm. on it. Well, so now she's on the hook for that. She's mm-hmm. on the hook for espionage act charges, whatever. She's got exposure, at least. Right. And that's the kind of thing that you can go to Molly Michael and say, you know, you were Trump's gatekeeper at the White House. <laughs> Let's talk about how cooperative you want to be on right. the stolen documents case. So as gotcha. to remember the things that you forgot about January 6th. Those are the things that right. I think you'll see. And it's re- the, there's some really fascinating cases of people who are like, were spun as heroes by the January 6th committee and then have this weird financial corruption angle in another corner of this investigation. And they might say all of a sudden, oh yeah, I think I do remember something in that other case. Uh, Precisely, yeah. Yeah. Let me jump to uh, Georgia here. A week or so ago, I think, uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis uh, in Georgia alerted law enforcement officials in Atlanta that charging decisions were most likely to happen at some point between July 11 and September 1 of this year, later in the summer, during the grand jury session in Fulton County uh, at the time. So does that mean now, Marcy, that Jack Smith could come in with charges on either of the two cases that he is working on prior to July 11, is is that a signal to him that, hey, you got an open window if you want to bring any of these uh, charges in? Or is that something that you think does not even occur to to Jack Smith as far as uh, how to roll these things out? Um, I, you know, it, I don't think he's going to wait on her. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's a highly there's a high likelihood that if and when Trump gets charged in Georgia, He's going to move to move it to the federal level, in which case all the good investigating that Fonnie Willis did is just going to get bumped to Jack Smith anyway. Huh. But I, I just don't think that, I, I mean, that's that's one way that Trump will delay things in Georgia. That's okay. A number of people, you know, if that happens, then all of a sudden Jack Smith is going to have a whole lot more evidence <laughs> on Georgia than he had the day before, because that's what Fonnie Willis has been focusing on. I don't think... You know, I think that that Jack Smith is close. I think that for January 6th, he's probably looking at that same time zone. He probably could charge the stolen documents case sooner if they decide how to do it. You know, those are decisions that I think are, uh, I mean, Fonnie Willis made it clear one of the reasons she's delaying Mm -hmm. is that she she claims to have discovered very recently, last three weeks, that some of the fake electors want to cooperate. Right. Um, you know, she's like, hey, I'm getting ready to charge. Do you want to narc out your other fellow fake elector who broke other laws right. for immunity? And then all of a sudden people are like, you know, I'm willing to I'm willing to rip apart the Republican Party in Georgia so I stay out of jail. 
and that's great. <laughs> Let's right. see more of that. Right. But that is that is one of the uh, um, that is one of the primary known causes of what is a bigger delay than we thought. And it's certainly worth it the delay for her to line up cooperating witnesses because you tailor your charges to that. You get the evidence from the cooperating witnesses in, and then your chances of of a conviction go up significantly. Mm-hmm. Fewer people, higher chance of conviction. I'll take this. But there was uh, some of the holdup, at least, seems to be due to the fact that at least one of the fake electors in Georgia, former state Republican Party chair Kathy Latham, was also involved in that plot I referenced earlier to breach and copy the voting system software in uh, in Coffee County, Georgia. And and that's probably what the fake electors are cooperating on. So in other Mm -hmm. words, like the fake electors had common liability for signing the fake election certificates. But they said when they were offered uh, immunity agreements, they said to Fannie Willis and her prosecutors, they said, well, we had nothing to do with the copying of, mm-hmm. of the data. You know, we're happy to testify about that, but we're not going to do that unless we get immunity. So that's what happened, is that they said, we're happy to testify against presumably her. Yeah. Give us immunity. And that's what's going on right now. Interesting. And there was one more element before we got to get out, even though it, 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 you know, it sort of leaked out earlier this year that the special grand jury uh, that Willis had assembled had recommended all of these charges, uh, you know, that that seemed to suggest that Trump will be indicted as part of this broad conspiracy. Uh, It has taken uh, months and months. A lot of people trying to figure out why that is uh, them sort of turning on each other, as you suggest, is is one thing, the fake electors. But also it it, it has recently become clear that there were another and I didn't know this, another 24 witnesses or so listening in on that infamous phone call that (laughs) Trump made to uh, Georgia Secretary of State. If we can believe Christina Bob. Um, basically what happened, you know, everyone thinks the January 6th committee did everything right, but they refused to release their transcripts uh-huh. last summer. Right. They did real damage to the Proud Boys case. Uh-huh. I think not lasting, but right. it, it was predictable. I predicted it, and sure enough, I was right. Mm-hmm. But they, when those transcripts were unsealed in December, Fonnie Willis's grand jury had already expired. Mm-hmm. Jack Smith was really deep into his investigation, and all of a sudden, in Bonnie Willis's case, she discovered that Christina Bob, who was not known to have had any inv- any role in the Georgia investigation, was on the call, was on the famous phone call. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, yeah, there were at least two dozen people on the phone call. Two dozen people on the phone call in which Trump is asking Raffensperger and Georgia Secretary of State to find 11,000 more votes. We know that Trump was on it. We know that Cleta Mitchell was on it, his attorney. We know that I think Mark Meadows was on it. But there could have been another 24 people. uh, If we believe Christina Bob. We should not believe Christina Bob. But I will say that Rudy Giuliani changed his story in Ruby Freeman's lawsuit of him after this came out. So, you know, maybe Rudy's like, oh, yeah, I remember the me and those 24 people listening on the phone call. But, but that's the kind of thing. I mean, and this is this is it's it, you know, it is the call is the call. But if there really were 24 people on the phone call and Christina Bob said we put 24 people on the phone call because we knew it would leak. This is Christina Bob logic, right? <laughs> because we knew but, it um, would leak. Yeah, I, I, 
Don't, yeah. Okay, I won't even don't, try. Um, I won't try. Okay. Um, but but that means there's 24 potential witnesses who's gonna, who are going to get on the stand and try and stay, save Trump and, and say, we think it was a perfect phone call. Ah. So that's something that as a prosecutor, you want to know, and you want to know at least who those people are yeah. and know that they actually were on the call and, and not be surprised that one of them is like an admiral or a right. staff or what have you. Right. In other words, you need to be able to uh, know all of the witnesses to any particular crime uh, about which you may be bringing charges, I guess. I'm gonna, you would prefer, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like obviously you don't want to be, you don't want any big surprises. Right. And so Fonnie yep. Willis got a pretty big surprise learning that there may be 24, 24 people 24 witnesses. Call. And so she's going to at least spend some time trying mitigating any risk to the charges by, you know, that, that kind of late discovery that 24 people on the phone call. Who knew? Gotcha. All right. I got to get out. Uh, Marcy Willer, we will point, of course, to your uh, three articles where people can get much more detail on all of the above, where the Trump investigation stands on the January 6th conspiracies, the stolen documents, the Georgia conspiracies, uh, all of that at EmptyWheel.net. Of course, Marcy Wheeler is an independent national security journalist who runs the great EmptyWheel.net. You can also find her on the Twitters and I think Mastodons and so forth at Empty Wheel. Always great speaking with you. Uh, enjoy yourself in Paris. Stay safe out there, Marcy Wheeler. Will do. Take care. Thank you. All right. We have got to get out. But that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a lot. Very nutrient dense. But I'll tell you what, uh, if you think there was a lot for us to go through in an hour, imagine what it's going to be like for Donald Trump when these <laughs> things start coming down. True. I've said it for a long time. The man is uh, in a world of hurt going to be in any event. All right, we have got to get out. Uh, thanks again to Marcy. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated and an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you kind folks who hit a donate button at bradblog.com or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. Love to hear from you. I am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you will find me at the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.